This episode is brought to you by Dame, the world's first reusable tampon applicator. For 30% off an organic tampon subscription, use the code ITW30 at Dame's website, wearedame.co. Welcome to Is This Working? A podcast about the messy parts of work. With me, Anna Codorado. And me, Tiffany Philippou. This week, we're talking about selling out. Yes, an interview that the popular food writer and New York Times cooking columnist, Alison Roman, gave to the new consumer publication at the end of last week has sparked a heated debate that's exposed our problematic relationship with success. And we really want to unpack that in today's show. Let's start with recapping what actually happened. So Alison Roman, who's the author of the best-selling cookbooks, Nothing Fancy and Dining In, and who's known for her viral recipes on Instagram, gave an interview about how she works on her recipes and what her plans are for growing her brand. In the interview, which is titled What Alison Roman Wants, and we have linked to in the show notes, she talked about the conflict she's experiencing. She's having her moment right now, but she said... I'm at a crossroads and I'm not really sure how to grow. However, in illustrating what she doesn't want to do, she called out Marie Kondo, the author of The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, and Chrissy Teigen, the author of the cookbook Cravings, as examples of business models she doesn't want to pursue. Of Kondo, she said, when Marie Kondo decided to capitalize on her fame and make stuff that you can buy, that is completely antithetical to everything she's ever taught you. I'm like, damn, bitch, you fucking just sold out immediately. Someone's like, you should make stuff. And she's like, okay, slap my name on it. I don't give a shit. There's just too much stuff in the world. I want so much less stuff in my life and I don't want to contribute to that. And maybe that's a poor business decision because I'm sure one day I could make money off of it. And then she went on to say that what Chrissy Teigen has done is quote, crazy to her. And I quote, she had a successful cookbook and then it was like, boom, line at target, boom. Now she has an Instagram page that has over a million followers where it's just people running a content farm for her. That horrifies me. And it's not something I ever want to do. I don't aspire to that. But like, who's laughing now? Because she's making a ton of fucking money. Over the weekend, Chrissy Teigen responded to Roman's comments by tweeting to her 12.7 million followers a link to a news story about the article. And she wrote, This is a huge bummer and it hit me hard. I have made her recipes for years now, bought the cookbooks, supported her on social and praised her in interviews. I even signed on to executive produce the very show she talks about doing in this article. I didn't sell out by making my dreams come true. To have a cookware line, To get to be part of that process, start to finish, to see something go from sketch to in my hands, I love that. And then Roman herself later tweeted, I want to clarify, I'm not coming for anyone who's successful, especially not women. I was just trying to clarify that my business model does not include a product line, which work very well for some, but I don't see working for me. Wow, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, We've been talking about this story all weekend, both between the two of us and in various WhatsApp groups. 
Um, we wanted to cover it on today's show because we think that at the heart of all this saga are some really complex and uncomfortable issues um, which are around work, women and success. The thrust of the anger online towards the interview was the fact that Roman used two Asian women as examples for what she doesn't want her business to be. The writer Roxane Gay put it succinctly when she tweeted, that interview included some terrible takes. It's lousy that women of colour were the target of her disdain when this is a space dominated by white women. Yes, and some people have said that it was just careless that Alison Roman used women of colour as her examples. But I actually think that that carelessness is still a problem because she, a white woman, tore down women of colour who are successful. And that feeds into a narrative which is all about keeping certain people in their place. And the fact that Roman's not aware of that is an issue. But for me, this is bigger than her as an individual. Yes, and that is a really important point because before we go any further, we want to make it clear that on this episode, we're not going to debate whether or not Alison Roman is racist. Some of the comments she made in the interview were at best tone deaf and at worst deeply problematic. But discussing the complexity of those race issues is something that deserves a lot more than we can give on the show today. What we're going to delve into is the thread that runs throughout the whole interview, which is one of the relationship between shame and success. Exactly. What this whole story is about is us as a society being stuck in a judgmental loop where we're feeling judged and we're judging each other. Take, for example, um, the debate around selling out, which obviously we're going to delve into today. But the term selling out in itself is extremely judgmental, just how it sounds. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that is shown so clearly in in the fact that this has hit such a nerve and not just for creatives, but really anyone who operates in this new world of work in which you have to either actively commodify a part of yourself or at, at the very least you participate in this culture in which that's happening. And I think it's because so many of us are asking ourselves the question of how do I monetize what I do or, you know, even how do I monetize myself and at the same time stay true to myself? Um, and, you know, there's this point in the interview in which the journalist asks her about her plans for growth. And the answer that Alison Roman gives just to me shows the extent of the inner struggle that she's having over this issue. And I would like to, you know, I want to make it clear that I think it was such a super honest answer to give. And it just really shows how conflicted she is about having about having to monetize her creativity. So in the interview, um, the journalist actually asks her whether she is kind of considering starting a sort of goop style website. And she says that while she has kind of contemplated it, she sort of, she's not sure about it. And then, and then the quote starts, I would also have to let go of so much control. I run my own social media, my own Instagram. I run my own Twitter. The idea that I would ever not do that and that I would somehow lend my brand to someone else who's going to approximate me, that horrifies me. I'd rather stay small and always be myself. But at the same time, I do need to figure out how to turn this into money, straight up. I have everything that I need. I have a wonderful apartment that I love so much. I don't have any student debt. 
I don't have any debt. I am just myself. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids. I'm very free. And that said, I would love to buy a house upstate. I would love to have a garden in that house. I would love to not have to work out of my home. I would love to have a second space for that. And then I'm like, oh, does that ruin the charm? Does that ruin the brand if I have a studio that's somehow nicer than where I live? But I don't have a dishwasher and it's a third floor walk up and these floors are old and I can't take it anymore. So I'm at a crossroads and I'm not really sure how to grow, but it is something that I'm thinking about a lot. I think it is such a shame that at this point in the interview, the journalist didn't probe any further because there is so much going on in this answer. She's talking about control, which is always something that is deeply interesting to interrogate further. And she's also talking about wanting to make more money in the same breath as when she's saying that she has everything she needs and is free. And, you know, I guess selfishly, from a fellow creator's perspective, I want to know more about where this conflict comes from, because this inner dialogue that Alison Roman is having is not unique to her. It's something that all creatives are thinking about. Yeah, I was going to ask whether it was something creatives think about a lot. I feel fairly new to the creatives party, having worked in startups for 10 plus years. So I just don't, to date, I haven't really experienced this conflict and I don't know whether it's because I'm from a business background, but um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting. I think it probably is to do with the fact that, you know, you've come from a world where it's, you know, you've come from a, you know, you've come from the business world. And so, you know, making money, especially in a startup world, like making money is what is talked about day in, day out. And that is what is, you know, you've been not necessarily conditioned, but you've become, it's normalized for you to talk about money and to think in business and in the business sense. Whereas um, I think for a lot of creatives, they, there's this sort of, rightly or wrongly, there's this idea that you can't make money and be a quote unquote proper creative at, at the same time. It, it's, there's all, there's almost this kind of backwards narrative that you, you, in the creative industry, if you can't be good, you surely can't be good at your job if you're making money from it. Essentially, you know, you're a sellout basically. It's interesting because I don't care about being seen as a good writer or good at my craft. Um, I think that's partly because I've got imposter syndrome because I've only really been like a writer for a few months. And, you know, unlike pretty much every other writer who I've heard on Desert Island Discs, they've wanted to be a writer since they were a child and wrote diaries and blah, blah, blah. Like I wasn't, I never really set out to do this. And I also see writing as quite like a small part of what I do. If, if anything, I talk more than I write. <laughs> um, and I'm also an entrepreneur as well. Um, but in a way, I see writing as a mechanism for communicating to the world and achieving other things that I want to do and reaching people. And so for me, I just don't really care if I'm seen as an intellectual or a good artist or good at the craft. But I think what I'm hearing is that... Um, I'm quite unusual in that sense. Yeah, I mean, the way I read this interview is that Alison Roman does care about wanting to be seen as a particular kind of writer, as a particular kind of artist. So almost kind of like a writer with a capital W. And, you know, to be clear, I completely get that because I spend so much of my time worrying about how do I balance the commercial work that I have to do in order to pay the bills with the editorial writing, with 
with the editor with my editorial writing, which I um, you know is what I love to do and what I want to do, and I do spend a lot of my time worrying. You know, am I getting enough bylines in certain publications to signal my status as a journalist? Um, that really does play on my mind a lot. However, at the same time, I am, or at least I hope I am realistic in the need to make money. And I do try to kind of assuage any guilt that I have around that. Um, because the reality is, is that at least for the place that I'm at in my career right now, you know, the the money, the I make the bulk of my money through brand work and, and kind of like commercial opportunities. Um, and I just, I find it very interesting in the interview when Alison Roman reacts to this term content creator. Um, so she says in the interview that she is, you know, categorically does not consider herself to be a content creator. And she says, I don't know where people get, get in their heads that I'm up for hire to whip up a pantry dish for you. It's not what I do. It's not who I am. And it's not how I want to be perceived. And I don't know, I just, I think the brutal reality is, is that as independent creators, that is kind of exactly what we are, like hands for hire, um, whether that might be, you know, the New York Times, me writing a feature for the New York Times or me doing a piece of brand work. Um, it, we, we very much, we very much are for hire. And, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's uncomfortable, but it's kind of, it is a reality of what we do. Yes. And just to be really simplistic about it, the way I look at that is I think, well, me and you do create content therefore that makes us content creators I don't see what is wrong with that title and I think that in itself says a lot um but there's so much to unpack here but should we take a quick break before we delve further into this This episode is sponsored by Dame, the brand on a mission to make our periods plastic free. I really love Dame. They created the first reusable applicator and the concept is absolutely genius. It's one of those products that I've been wishing existed for years and now is finally in my bathroom. And the other thing I really love about Dame is the little tin that the organic tampons come in. It just looks so chic sitting in my bathroom. It's really exciting to see a product that's making periods beautiful and sustainable, both for women and the planet. And for all our listeners, we've got 30% off an organic tampon subscription. Use the code ITW30 at Dame's website, wearedame.co, and we'll put all that in the show notes. I just want to make it clear that as far as selling out goes, I hate it so much as a term because it implies that anyone who makes things should feel guilty about asking for money for them. I'm not against people doing the action that selling out describes, which is to make money for your art, but the loaded phrase, you are a sellout, really, really bothers me. It's a really ugly term. And as I said before, it's loaded with a lot of judgment. And similarly, am I a sellout is judging yourself in the same way. But what I think this concept or idea of to sell out really means is it it kind of comes down to our values. So people talk about values all the time. It's quite hard to really understand what values actually mean. But um, 
a value is kind of what's important to you. What's the principle with which you want to live your life by. And it's, it's a hierarchy that exists within all of us. And we all have different um, values of greater importance to us than other people. And, um, you know, ultimately we're all on different missions. We have different things that we care about and so on and so forth. Um, it's very important when it's we're talking about values to not, um, well, first of all, to know your own values and not be judgmental of other people's values. So when you're saying someone is selling out, you are presuming that they are doing work for money that does not align with their values. And it never is your place to say what someone else's values are. So you can never say that to someone, essentially. You can explore that within yourself, but that's very different if you're doing work that goes against your values than if you're doing commercial work and you are an artist. I completely agree. And I think also a point that you kind of made just in passing there, but I think is just so important to emphasize is that this all has to start with knowing your own values. And I think that actually lots of people don't even don't know their own values or, you know, struggle with the fact that maybe their values don't look like what they quote unquote should look like. And that's not to say that that is a failing on any one individual's part, but just how difficult it is to even just sort of quiet all the noise and spend some time thinking about what it is that you actually think is important and what it is that you want to have guide you through through your work through life through through everything um and you know as you say that when you say someone else is sold out you are ascribing your values to them um and that is especially damaging when when that gets said about women because to me that what that is saying is, you know, you're essentially saying you've done enough now and you aren't, you aren't allowed anymore. You know, you've kind of, you've had your, your allotted sort of portion of the pie and and like that, that's it now. We, this is exactly what we saw play out in the Alison Roman interview because she judged Chrissy Teigen and Marie Kondo when she was like, I have enough stuff in my life. I don't want to buy more stuff. You sell stuff. That's her value. And then on top of that, exactly as you say, um, she's brought women down with that, you know, criticizing of what they're doing. Um, so yeah, this exact thing that we're describing has really played out in this interview. And, and it just really feeds into this kind of idea that success is a scarcity that needs hoarding, that um, if if someone else has this particular success, then therefore I can't have it. Or, you know, if the, if this, if the Goop site already exists, that means that that's it. There can never be any like lifestyle sites that sell expensive knickknacks and other questionable things. Um, but also kind of more so than that, I think that when we think about success as a scarcity, especially within the creative sphere, it also plays into this this narrative that um, you know creatives should feel guilty about wanting to be compensated because they are you know doing a job that is quote unquote you know fun, and that they should feel so grateful for that. And all that does is perpetuate a culture of no low and slow payment, and it just feeds into kind of all of these misconceptions about and sort of kind of untruths that we tell ourselves as creatives that we should be so thankful for what we do. Um, And, you know, that then kind of opens the door for sort of getting taken advantage of in terms of 
companies trying to pay us an exposure rather than in money. That um, exact narrative, though, also perpetuates the fact that creative life is reserved for the privileged few. Um, that sort of struggling artist, struggling creative, you can only really struggle in inverted commas, but still be able to feed yourself if you come from a privileged position or have other finance. So it's a really problematic narrative that's being played out here, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you can kind of, you can, um, I, I see this happening a lot in, you know, there's this, and, and rightly so, in the last few years, we've seen so many creatives and particularly writers being more transparent about how they make their money, which I think is brilliant. And I mean, like I myself have been, I, I've done this, you know, at the end of last year, I did my sort of usual Twitter roundup of the pieces I'm most proud of. And I also actually wrote the rates that I got paid for them. Um, because I do think that salary sharing and by extension rate sharing is really, really important. Um, however, there is also such a kind of, there's such a demand on how much transparency writers should give and there are so many kind of there's a lot of caveats and qualifying and sort of you must explain um whether or not you have debt or you know what your personal circumstances are and there's just there's so much demand for kind of like essentially opening your bank statements in a way that i think that um isn't isn't the same pressure isn't actually applied to people who are in salary jobs i mean there's the you know salary sharing is really really important and happens but there isn't this kind of extra layer of it as well i wonder what that's about i think it comes back to kind of uh i guess shame and qualifying your you know qualifying your right to be doing this you know, to be having to have this creative job to do this kind of work. And, um, you know, ex- explaining again, again, it's this kind of thing of like, a lot of creators feel the need to explain themselves. And um, whilst, you know, that may be true for some people, I don't think that's necessarily true for everybody. Yeah, it's interesting, because I'm just thinking about that. And then also the scarcity point that you raised before, because I feel like there's this thing where the creative career, the, 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 the visibility you see on a creative career is often people who've like very much are at the top, but actually there's quite a lot of different ways of having a creative career. And similarly, because you only are exposed to certain few people at the top, so to speak, um, I think you believe, or there's the ingrained belief that there isn't room for everybody. It's really scarce, but actually there's plenty of people who are, financially stable and being able to do creative work at the same time and so the the myth of scarcity was I think is actually is a myth (laughs) it is a myth um yeah I think and I think I think actually kind of to kind of like bring this back to sort of Alison Roman I think that's I think you see that really clearly that you know there are actually quite a lot of food bloggers out there who have um, a similar following size to Alison Roman, who maybe don't have, you know, who've potentially built their careers more through, well, essentially through content creation and through um, using social media platforms more directly to to build their audiences. Whereas, you know, Alison Roman is primarily known for kind of her involvement in other much larger platforms. So the New York Times cooking and Bon Appetit. And, um, you know, the alternative path are what, you know, there are are sort of, you go down the food blogging route where you build your own platform 
off your own blog and you grow you grow your audience through social media and you get to a sizable following and then you know you can pursue brand deals and all of these things and essentially you are a content creator um we know that that actually is a you know we find it's a new job a new type of career so we don't know kind of like the longevity of it but nonetheless there are plenty of examples of how that can be a sustainable and quite lucrative career so exactly to your point it's um, it's not the case that there is only kind of a, a very, very small handful of people who are who can make this work. Um, I think there are lots of, I do believe that there are lots of opportunities out there. And again, it's also on a scale, right? I mean, like, what is rich? Like, what is, what is, um, like, what does it mean to have a decent income? Like, you know, it, so much of this, again, comes back to how we don't really have a good way to talk about um, someone's like net worth and like how much money they make and like all of this stuff. It's like, it's very, it's very shrouded in mystery and in shame. And, um, and, and you know, you kind of got to go back to the point I was making earlier. It's you, you see it in the way that people kind of feel the need to sort of caveat their kind of financial position. Well, the what is rich point is very important because um, there's a couple of things going on there. On the one hand, she was saying, um, you know, I have everything I need. But on the other hand, she was defining to increase her wealth based on things that were quite visible to other people. So say like, um, you know, having a second home or whatever that might be. But similarly, people are very judgmental of that. Well, why do you want those things? And like, again, you're seeing the all these issues around wealth, you know, richness, what does it mean? Like playing out in this um in this sort of scenario that's happening in front of us. Yeah. I mean, this whole story and the kind of the, the interview and then the backlash that this has, that has ensued. I just think it just, it has exposed so much and it's just, it's, it really shows the need we have for, big and difficult conversations about what it means to have a creative career in 2020. Um, and it's really kind of calling on us to, and, and when I say us, I mean sort of everyone, not just not just you and I, um, to interrogate and maybe even shed some of our problematic markers of success. Absolutely. And it also exposes some even greater issues around what's our relationship with shame and success, our obsession and conflict we have around money um scarcity mindset which i believe is the root of pretty much all evil uh women's issues women's place at work women's careers women's success women in the public eye we're only really managed to scratch the surface of some of these issues in this episode and as ever this podcast is all about asking the questions, starting the conversation and exploring and opening the discussion. And we'd love to hear your views on this. So get in touch. This episode was brought to you by Dame, the world's first reusable tampon applicator. For 30% off an organic tampon subscription, Use the code ITW30 at Dame's website, wearedame.co.